0: we just saying, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's from Robert Robinson's 263-year-old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. As we sang that, I'm just wondering, in your heart, did you feel it? Did you feel the way that it resonates in your soul with a, a kind of tendency to wander away from God? Do you sense that in yourself? Well, Robinson was famous for his wandering heart. He he arrived in London as a a barber's apprentice. He quickly made some bad friends who led him into making bad choices. Uh, He found himself one day with his buddies trying to get a gypsy drunk so that she would give them free fortunes. And and she gave him a free fortune and she said, you're going to live old to see your children and grandchildren. And when he heard that, it, it caused him to think about, his whole life, something he hadn't done much of. And it sort of terrified him and caused him to spin out. And he went to hear soon after George Whitfield, the great evangelist, preach. And he was preaching on that day, Matthew 3, 7, flee the wrath of God to come. And when he heard it, he was struck with terror and he repented and he believed the gospel. It was two years later that he wrote, come thou found of every blessing which gives words, I think, in its best form to that Romans 7 kind of struggle that Christians who have been born again to the gospel face as they battle the flesh as they are living in the Spirit. Now, to be sure, we are not only as Christians prone to wonder. There is something else that is going on in the life of a believer that's not in the life of every human. We have the Spirit of God at work in us, there is something else that's happening in Christ, the Spirit. He also makes us prone to abide in Christ, to mature, to persevere to the end. But Robinson was famed for his wanderlust, wandering from the Methodists to the Independents to eventually a 30 year stint as a Baptist pastor before some claiming that he actually left behind the God he loved joining the Unitarian doctrine that denied the deity of Christ. See, wandering, I believe, begins with forgetting, forgetting God. A spiritual autopsy of a wandering believer can be traced, I believe, back to a number of things. Temptation that drove them away or, or drug them away, or, or maybe a tragedy that stunned them in a bad spot in their life where they wandered from God, didn't trust Him anymore. But if you continue to chase that, that sort of bread trail of crumbs to the source, I think what we find ultimately is a forgetting of God. It's the same thing that God said to Israel when they were in the wilderness, in Deuteronomy 32, 18, he says, you were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. You forgot God. Now, we're back in our Remember This True Knowledge series this morning in 2 Peter 1:12 to 15, where Peter, I believe, is stating the purpose of of this whole letter. I think that's what 12 through 15 is, is telling us. And it's this, to remind Christians of the gospel as he prepares them for his death. Now, Peter likely writes, as we've said before, to a mostly Gentile group of Christians in Asia Minor. He's reminding them of true knowledge in the face of some false teachers that are either there or coming. And as, he, as he's preparing for them, he says, look, they're going to at least tell you a couple of things. One is that Jesus isn't coming back, and the other is that it doesn't matter how you live. And those things, as we've seen, are actually really intimately intertwined. Now, Peter was famous for both his forgetting and remembering as well. You'll remember Peter's testimony. Uh, On the night of Jesus' betrayal, Jesus warned the disciples that they would fall away. They would be scattered. To which Peter responds, and you know, Peter's that guy that always feels like he needs to say something he says, oh, not me, though they all fall away. All those other disciples who are right there, right? Though they all fall away, I will not. I'm not going to fall away. And then in Mark 14, 30, Jesus responds, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now fast forward just 42 verses, still in Mark 14. What did Peter do later that night? He denied Jesus three times. And in Mark fourteen seventy two we are told, and immediately after he denied him three times, the rooster crowed a second time, and he remembered. He remembered Jesus' word. He had forgotten what Jesus said, but when the prophecy came true, less than 24 hours later, about him specifically, he remembered. He remembered the words of Christ. And you might say, but how did he forget? Well, tragedy struck. The shepherd was struck. And and as he was struck, their king was arrested to be killed. It was disorienting. I mean, you, you know how this happens. Life hits you and all of a sudden, you start asking questions that you know the answers to and you're reevaluating everything. Life does that. A younger Peter forgot Jesus' words. That was a younger Peter. Here is is Second Peter, written by an older Peter who has a better memory and a, a, a greater appreciation for remembering. Now, our big idea this morning is this. It's that Christians need to REMEMBER, and and I would say REMEMBER needs to be in all caps. They need to REMEMBER that Christians look more and more like Jesus until they see Jesus. Remembering is extremely important to your spiritual life. Now before we begin, let me just go ahead and pray for us and ask for God's help. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we come before you, there might be those in here uh, who have never known you. They, They haven't known anything to forget, and Lord, we pray that you would open their eyes to see you. And Father, there are others here who have forgotten you or some aspect of the gospel that they need to be reminded of. They need to be reminded of the hope of the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would stir us up to remembrance this morning, the glory of your name. Do this, we ask. Amen. Well, notice first, in verse 12, we find that you need to remember before you forget. You need to remember before you forget. Now, Peter repetitively is calling Christians to remember. He does it in verses 12, 13, and then 15, He's saying you you, you need to remember, remember, remember. Now that therefore that begins verse 12, it's pointing us to what preceded in verses two to 11 at least, where Peter argued that faith unites us with the morally excellent Jesus, who is progressively sanctifying us, making us more and more holy until Jesus returns to receive us into his eternal kingdom. But today's verses, I think they also are bridging to the rest of the letter And her serving is really the main point of this letter, that we must remember that Christians look more and more like Jesus until we see Jesus. Now, because of this, he writes in verse 12, Therefore, I intend to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Now, I don't think these qualities that he mentions speak of the virtues from 5 to 7. We've seen that before. But instead, I think it's more like these things, which is pointing to, as I said before, verses 3 to 11, and really the whole letter. Now, Peter intends in the future to always remind these Christians and future generations of Christians of the things that he's written. Now, If you were just to stop right there, you might think these Christians have proven themselves to be uniquely and famously forgetful. I mean, Peter's saying, I, I just want everybody to know that you need to be reminded, and it must be because there's something deficient in your memories, it's kind of like Dory from Finding Nemo. You remember her? Couldn't ever remember anything. She says, I forget things almost instantly. It runs in my family. Well, at least I think it does. Hmm. Who are they? Where are they? See, Dory's known for forgetfulness. She's famous for it. And and maybe you think the Christian Peter writes to those who are also famously or abnormally forgetful. But Peter says these Christians are actually in a good place. Did you see that? These Christians are not in a bad place. They're in a good place. Uh, You'll notice what he says about them. He says, even though you know these things, and not only that, you are established in the truth that you have. Now, first, they, they know the truth. Peter says, you know the truth. Jude, he wrote his letter to a group of Christians who forgot the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. But that's not these Christians. Peter writes to Christians who remember the faith, who were strengthened by it. They're in a good place. Uh, let me make one quick point of clarification. As we talk about the faith, I recently heard a pastor who pointed to Romans 16.25 which says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, to mean that Paul in some way had this understanding that he had his own version of the gospel that was in some ways unique and distinct from Peter's version or Jude's or someone else's or even Jesus's. Now, you need to remember that that Paul writes other things elsewhere that help clarify what he's meaning. And so in Galatians 1.8, Paul says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. In other words, if an angel comes with another version of the gospel, which I think he would see as being sort of like trumping his version, he would say, if it's different from the gospel we bring to you, then you need to count that person accursed. That is not a gospel that gets you all the way into the eternal kingdom. See, Paul understood that the truth was the truth. It's not as though Paul would tell Peter, that's your truth, and this is my truth, and so it's okay that they're different because like, hey, you be you. That's not what he's saying. No, in context, what it seems to find, it, what we find out here is, is that he is saying that, that we believe the truth, the faith, there's only one, there aren't multiple versions, and it is the truth that, in some ways, proves the authenticity or the veracity of every other truth. Now, don't miss this. This rubs up against the zeitgeist of our age—that that spiritual kind of uh, that spirit of our age that says I can have my truth and you can have your truth and they can be opposite and yet still be true. That's not what Peter and Paul and the apostles teach. Peter, Paul, Jude, and Jesus would say that if my truth does not align with the truth of God's word, then my truth is no truth at all. If you love Jesus, God's truth, hear me, will always edit your truth and not the other way around. Does that make sense? If I'm coming to God and I'm saying, this is my truth, and God's word says, that's not the truth, then that's not where you start editing God and saying, well, I need to change God so that it fits my version. No, when you come to the word of God, you say, Lord, I understand that every man's a liar, and that includes, in some ways, I know my own heart, and it needs to be edited by you. Not even the church has the right to add to or take away from God's word, not even angels. See, we expose God's ancient words as handed down by the prophets and apostles, Now, the beauty is that in a world full of fake news and untrustworthy leaders and businesses, there is an anchor of truth that we can trust and that will hold us fast and not let us go. Peter's not writing to Christians about his truth, but the truth according to God. See, Peter and Paul are delivering mail with the same return of address. Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father. Now, there's only one gospel that gets you home to the Father, And they, these Christians, Peter says, know that gospel. That's good news. But notice they're also established, or the same word for strengthened in the truth of the gospel. Now, don't miss this. The gospel, it's not less than propositional truths. They are words, true words about God that can be trusted. But the gospel is much, much more. It's powerful, according to the authors of the scriptures. See, wandering from the truth of the gospel... Forgetting it leads to spiritual weakness and a sinful life. A weak gospel game leads to a shaky life game. But the church is called to be the pillar and buttress of truth in 1 Timothy 3. The truth is our glorious hope to be displayed to the nations. It's a, we are the pillar that holds it up to the nations. We are the buttress that brings protection and safety. The truth is our glorious hope. See, the gospel is a message that brings spiritually dead people to life. God's word, it teaches, it corrects, it rebukes, it trains us in the ways of righteousness. The gospel binds up the wounds of the bruised reeds and it comforts the brokenhearted. The gospel convicts wayward hearts and calls them back to the fold of Christ. Don't miss this. Remembering the gospel according to Peter strengthens suffering Christians to stand amidst the raging tragedies of this life and the desires of the flesh that seek to lead us away from our all-sufficient Savior who says he is the only way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. So the gospel helps us to see the truth that this world is, is passing away. And that what awaits is a, a world of immeasurable eternal delight in the presence of Christ. Now, just coming full circle, Peter reminds these Christians of the truth before they've forgotten it. Do, do you see this? I haven't forgotten it yet. It's not just the, the entrance way into Christianity; it is actually the lifeline that's keeping you alive throughout. Every once in a while, I'll give. Uh, I'll have someone come to me as a, a pastor. Seeking counsel, that makes sense, and usually looking at encouragement for a marriage or a relationship, and every once in a while i 'll have someone come to me and i 'll explain, look th- this is what i am i 'm a gospel minister I-, I preach Christ, and I believe that if your life, if there 's some kind of broken relationship or something that 's not working well, I believe that ultimately it might not be all that 's in play but it is at least in play that you have misunderstood something about what Jesus has said about you or God and others, and we want to trace that down and find that so that we can get you in a good place. And every once in a while I have someone say, do you have anything else for me? And I'll tell you my answer every time is, no, I got nothing. And I've had some people walk away and say, well, I'm looking for something different. And I'm fine with that, not because I don't want them to get help with Jesus, but because I know that I'm not peddling anything else. What they need is Christ. And I believe that's the exact kind of thing that, that Peter is saying here. You know, Paul uses the same word Peter does for establishing or strengthening the Christians in Rome. There in Romans 16, 25, remember what he says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. Do you see that? We all need to be strengthened according to Paul's gospel, which is Peter's gospel, which is the gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret from long ago, ancient, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Ancient words for today. You need it. See, ancient words can bring fresh life to minds and marriages that need new hope. But why does Peter think Christians in a good place need to be reminded before they've forgotten. Well, Peter warns of those coming to teach a different gospel in this church that he's writing this letter to. And that leads to a a worldly way of life. If If you don't believe the true gospel, your life will start to show it. It'll start to break down. You'll see it. But they have not forgotten the true gospel, this church against which this test is coming, where a false gospel will be preached. And so he wants them to be ready for the false gospel coming in. It's really just like that, that illustration that we use all the time about the FBI, right? How do you know a counterfeit bill? How do you know that you've got somebody that's trying to cash a fake C-note? Well, they, they study the real thing over and over again so that they're ready whenever a, a false one comes through, a counterfeit comes through, they can identify it. What's well, it's the same way with the gospel. We wanna be fluent in the gospel so that we know how to live, but also we know how to understand when a false gospel is being taught. And for those in Christ, the true message of Christ, it's not static, it's kinetic. It's active and lively. And Christ himself strengthens us through the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see it? Well, if these Christians are in a good place, what event drove Peter's desires to write these words? Well, notice second, he says it's the nearness of death that drives him to stir up Christians by way of reminder. He's he's about to die, and so as he's thinking about it, he needs to stir them up. We see that in verses 13 to 14. Uh, Look there with me again at, at what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. He writes this. He says, I think it right. As long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear. See, death is driving Peter's actions. This, this letter, it's kind of like Peter's last words. We see lots of last words in the Bible. The last words of Jacob in Genesis. The last words of Moses and David. And later we see the, the, the last words of Paul. And Jesus gives his last words in John 13 to 17. But here, Peter is giving his kind of last words before he dies. Words that he wants to leave behind for them to teach to others, believe, and to obey. Those are the words that he gives him. And so Peter's statement here really kind of reminds me of one of my favorite quotes about preaching. It's from Richard Baxter in the reformed pastor. When he talks about the nature of the way we ought to preach, he says, pastors ought to preach as never sure to preach again, as a dying man to dying men, and women, and children, And if Jesus tarries, we too, we're going to die. We're going to die like Peter died. And Peter says, with that in coming to us, I think it right for an apostle to speak with authority in the spirit for this generation and future generations. Christians who will come, and this will help them to believe and to be strengthened after I am gone. This very word will breathe life into future generations of Christians. Now, he tips us off that the temporary nomadic nature of this life is what he has in view with the word that he uses for his body. It's actually a word for tent. A tent its an interesting word. The tent was a, a temporary, just like it is today, and mobile dwelling not intended to last as long as a house. Uh, so I visited Israel, and I saw remnants of lots of houses. I didn't see a lot of remnants of tents. I've seen houses withstand hurricanes. Not tents. Tents are weak. Tents are temporal. They're momentary. Tents are not like God's Word, which is strong and eternal. Paul also compares his present body to a tent in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 and 4. Uh, There Paul says, For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal, it might be swallowed up by life. See, Peter senses that he soon will fold up his bodily tent as he goes to be with the Lord. But notice that he says this, this, this death that's coming is as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And you might be thinking, how did Jesus make that clear to him? And there are a number of different options that have been offered by scholarship, some making more or less sense. But I think that the most obvious connection actually goes back to, us, to what we find in John 21. That's where you'll remember Peter, he had denied Jesus three times before remembering But in John 21, Jesus asked him three times if he loves Jesus, three times. And three times he says, yes. Can you imagine that dialogue? I know I just denied you three times and now like you're raised from the dead and you're asking me if I I love you and yes, I love you. And then he gets to two, yes, I love you. And then he's like, oh, please not three. Three, yes, yes, I, I love you. Pointing out the flimsiness of Peter and his remembering, and yet the faithfulness of Jesus and his remembering Peter, to which Jesus responds each time, Peter, feed my sheep, and then in John 21, 18 to 19, Jesus tells Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will will dress you and carry you to where you do not go, and verse 19 explains This he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Do you think Peter might have remembered his three denials when the risen Christ asked him if he loved him? I think so. And maybe this morning you fear that you have forgotten the truth and have wandered too far. Maybe even the idea of forgetting God brings a kind of conviction to your soul, which is a good thing. But Peter, I I believe the beauty of Peter is that he reminds us that the gospel is for disciples who forget the truth in magnificent ways, famous ways. It, It encourages us to seek Christ afresh. Press into your local church if you have forgotten. Ask for help while you desire to remember. And while that desire is still in your heart, don't let it slip away. Remember today. Don't ignore it. The apostle Peter remembered after he denied Jesus, but it wasn't too late for Peter, and it's not too late for you. See, Peter's not a superhero. Years before this was written, Paul had to correct Peter even in Galatians. And Peter will tell us later some things that Paul writes is hard. He's like, man, I'm, I mean, I'm an apostle in some of this stuff. Like, I'm, I'm working through it. And yet an older Peter has a better memory. And to his last breath, he will relentlessly remind, stoke, prod, and stir Christians to remember, remember, remember the gospel that Jesus reminded him of. It's a good news. Now, the nearness of death reveals, I think, what we truly value. And here we see this in in Peter. It's a a great picture. Uh, In fact, when I was writing this, I was reminded of a show that I watch, uh, Chicago Fire. It's about some firemen. And there's this one episode where there's this guy on like the third story of his house, and uh, you can't see him, you just see this glass window, and the ladder begins to sort of extend up to the window. And before it even gets there, you see this guy just come running and jumping through the window, through the glass, glasses everywhere, and he catches the, the, the ladder like an acrobat. And he almost knocks one of the firemen over off the, off the ladder and kills him. And, and, and he saves himself. And his first lines, once he catches it, are, Oh, and by the way, my wife's still in there. And the firemen are like, what kind of loser is this? Like, leaves his wife in a burning house. But there's something about that moment that showed what he valued. Now, I wonder, as death is near you, what is it that you Value. What is it that you love? What is it that you run out with, that you run to grab? See, death drives Peter to long for his Christian brothers and sisters to persevere to the end. Do you see that? Death is near. Are you terrified or are you thinking, I hope, I hope you make it. And you, and you, I want you to make it to the end. The eternal kingdom's coming. I'm going to be there. I'm good. But what about You? We have some amazing older Christians in this body who love reminding the next generation of the gospel with their lives and teaching. Uh, I love spending time around older Christians who love Jesus long and hard and, and are beautiful for it. Uh, the other day I was with one of our elders, George Mann, uh, who's many decades old. He's, I'll give you this, he's been an elder probably for 50 years, has known Jesus for many more decades than that probably. And I was talking to this brother and, and we were just talking about sin and he said, you know, I heard this quote one time, and this is what I believe to be true. I've actually been able to narrow my struggle with sin in my old age to three things. Three struggles. It's just three now. used to be a lot. Now it's three. And we're like, oh, what are are those? He said, well, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Like, all right. You're an engineer. You're categorizing things. I get it. 1 John 2.16. Very good. But George is 80. And his bench press isn't quite what it used to be Physically. But spiritually, he has been strengthened day by day for decades in the gospel. This past week, I had an opportunity to meet with Rob and Sandy Hirsch. Just had surgery, thought things were going great, had cancer removed, Uh, went back in, found out that it was in his stomach and his lip nodes. Not great news. And I asked how he was doing. Like, how are you in your heart, how are you grappling with this? And he said, You know, I'm happy to go to be with the Lord. No problems, I I can't wait. But I don't want to leave Sandy, my wife, here. Don't wanna leave her, wanna be with her to make it to the end. And I dream of of leading a community group someday so that I can lead others at Trinity Bible Church to Christ, to love him more, to care for their souls, point them to Jesus again and again. And I'm sitting there thinking like, this man is facing cancer and he's thinking about community group. His body might feel weak, but his gospel game is strong. They remember. Many of you remember, and you remind others. Third, Peter sweats to help Christians remember truth once he's gone. He, he's putting work in to make sure they remember once he's gone. See, Peter has already told every Christian to make every effort to grow in a virtuous life. Here, Peter says, He is an apostle, will make every effort. In verse 15, he's going to, they need to sweat to become virtuous. He does too, but he's also sweating to make them remember. And catch what he says in verse 15. He says this, And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. I want you to remember them. See, the laser-eyed focus of the Apostle Peter's efforts in this letter is that after he dies, the gospel lives on, As Christians, remember the teaching he received from Christ to the church. Now, this letter is the means by which he preserved a reminder for future generations. And it's working because, hey, we're talking about this morning, right? Now, I take these things here in verse 15 to refer to Peter's letter and his version of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Same faith, but here he is saying that this is my letter explaining what that faith is. But don't miss this. Peter understands the truth that he, Paul, and the other Bible authors have written uniquely come from one human and one divine author, men carried along by the Holy Spirit. He believes this, that, that the Holy Spirit has been the author behind it all. Now, let me just be clear. When we say that the, the Bible was inspired by God, that does not mean that we believe that God reached down and he picked up a disciple and dipped his head in ink and then wrote the scriptures, right? Like that's not what we're talking about. Uh, we don't think that there was like a direct dictation kind of model. We believe that the scriptures have come to us through various authors over various millennia to the, to the point that uh, they were coming, these, these, these scriptures through various ways and means, some through dreams, uh, some through direct prophecy. Uh, we even have um, like donkey speaking at times, like the Lord has been working in many ways to speak to his people. And the writers of the New and Old Testaments were inspired in various ways over time in such a way that human authors' personalities might be seen, yet without in any way inhibiting God's perfect word from coming to his people in written form. Now that's the the surface level explanation. If you want to go deeper in your understanding of this process... Uh, you can go and look up the Text and Canon Institute or talk to Dr. John Mead after the service. He was like, I was going home early, but maybe not. But for now, we simply need to know that at least part of Peter making every effort to help these and future generations of Christians to recall these things, including, included writing them down as authoritative scriptures. Now, don't miss this. The Bible is the epistemological center of gravity for the christian world it moves us we don't move it it is our understanding the center of our understanding of truth if we want to know that we can know anything then we need to begin with the bible every truth claim must be held accountable to the truth there is no greater source of truth than the scriptures which culminate climax and climax in the revelation of the God-man Jesus Christ, who has all authority in heaven and on earth. So this is the only truth that will strengthen you, the only truth that will, make, will take you all the way home to the eternal kingdom. So let me ask you this morning, do you think that you're in a good place? Do you think you're in such a good place that you don't need to be reminded of the gospel? Could it be that you're in a good place and it's a perfect time to be reminded of the gospel? See, the apostle Peter says we all need to be constantly reminded of the gospel. Peter says the reason you don't, that you need to be reminded when you are in a good place is because there there are a number of things that can cause you to forget that are coming. You know, in context, it's false teachers teaching false things about the nature of the gospel. That's one thing you need to be careful about, like the books you read, the authors that you pick up. You need to be careful about uh, who you're listening to on Instagram. Like, You just need to be careful about who's shaping your understanding of God and reality and truth. But what about tragedy and temptation? Don't those cause us to begin to look for fresh answers to old questions? Isn't that a, a dangerous time? Tra- tragedies can stun us, disorient us, not just to the world around us, but to God. And when Jesus was struck, it was then that the sheep were scattered. And then what about temptations? We hear the voice of Satan still asking day by day, did God actually say? I wonder how many times a day we hear that same question in some new form. Did God actually say, love your wife and your wife alone? Did God actually say that you should make a covenant with your eyes not to look lustfully at another woman? Did God say that you shouldn't love money? Did he really say that? Did, did he say that you shouldn't love money? Possessions more than people. Did, did God really say that you, know, you have to, should go to church, need to go to church? Just, do you need church? See, tragedies don't challenge us every day, but they do cause us to wrestle with deep questions temptations come more regularly but we need to work on our gospel memory so that we are ready for whatever tragedy or temptation comes our way so how do we develop a strong memory game let's just think about memory for a second as we close one way we need to remember the ancient scriptures strengthen you for today and the last day ancient scriptures they strengthen you both for today and the last day. I know that it feels like sometimes when people talk about the Bible, they think of an old, dusty book that doesn't make it off the shelf. Many don't. And and many of those Bibles that are sitting dustily on a shelf are full of life-giving words. They don't know it. And Satan, he's convinced you that 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 that, uh, book is old and dusty and doesn't have anything for the real life Challenges, temptations, tragedies that you're facing today. And yet, God says that you need the Scriptures to strengthen you. That they are sufficient for all things in life and godliness. They strengthen you against teachings that will not prepare you for today's temptations. And and they prepare you to walk through tragedies faithfully. Tragedies that you don't know are coming yet. Yet. So many of us long for a fresh word and we wander onto Instagram looking for someone to excite us about God. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, man, I'm just feeling kind of like spiritually slow today and I could read the Bible or I could just go to Instagram. Do you long for a fresh word and ignore God's authoritative word? Young Christians, let me just encourage you. I've been walking with the Lord for something like 30 years now. And there are many here who have walked with him even longer. You need old truth. Did you hear me? You need ancient truth for today. The world is telling you, you don't need old authoritative voices. You need new voices that are clever. What you need is not a hip word from God. You need trustworthy words that will hold you fast until Christ comes back. Don't turn from the the sweet word of God that has been given to you. Can you recognize the counterfeit gospels that are coming your way? Like so many of us, it would be really easy for us to pick out a counterfeit Benjamin, right? $100 bill, so I've been told Benjamin's on it, right? I mean, if he comes your way and he's got like Glasses and he's smoking a pipe. Probably not authentic, right? But can you understand when someone is preaching to you some counterfeit gospel that does not protect or save you? Second, remember that only true knowledge of an ancient gospel brings new life. It's only the, the knowledge of that ancient gospel that can bring you new life. God says, only my word can bring the spiritual life that you need. There's not another word. So often we run after all that is new and creative. It's kind of how we're made. It's kind of how our culture runs. I took my computer the other day to Apple to get fixed and they said, hey man, this is like 10 years old. We call it an antique. I said, what? This isn't like a horse and a buggy. This is a computer I bought here 10 years ago. I said this to a 20 year old genius, right? But that's how we're made. We're like, hey, we're gonna give you a computer and then by the way, you're buying this and I'm laughing at you because you'll have to buy another one in five years so that you get the upgrade. And we're always looking for upgrades. We're looking for upgrades in technology constantly. We want better vacations. We want better homes. We want better churches. We want better wives. We want better husbands, better kids. My kids are great. But we're always looking for an upgrade, right? Like, we even like are thinking, like, well, maybe I can like tamper with the birthing process and I don't want a boy, I want a girl, or I want a girl, not a boy. And, like, we can, we can upgrade. Don't miss this. If you try to upgrade the gospel, not paying careful attention to your life and doctrine, you will forget the true gospel and be in a dangerous place, not just today, but on the last day. Here's the glorious thing there are some things that are old and beautiful. I used to have this oak tree in my yard when I was growing up. It was 120 years old. This thing was fun. It was full of life. We had a a swing that was hanging from it. We climbed in it. We wanted to explore it. It was glorious. Had a new tree. Looked like a branch hanging out of the ground. Christians who spend a long time with the Lord are like mighty oaks. They are beautiful and glorious. They are like the tree in Psalm one that is planted beside flowing waters. And it is glorious and what? Fruitful. It is a fruit bearing, lively tree. Why? Because it's the kind of person who meditates on the word day and night. And you think it gets beautiful over a year, wait for 10 years, wait for 30 years, and when you hit 50 years, you've got something special, right? Glorious, third. Remember that we don't preach a popular gospel. We don't preach a popular gospel. Sometimes life doesn't feel the way that culture says life should feel or look. In fact, I just read a great book by Carl Truman called The Triumph of the Modern Self where he spent a few hundred pages just answering this question. How did our culture get to a place where saying something like, I'm a man trapped in a a woman's body makes sense. How did we get there? He said, my grandfather would have looked at you like, I'm sorry, what? And yet, here we are, and, and it's not just like you that is like, okay, this is weird, but like you're kind of odd because you talk to your neighbor, and they're like, well, of course. Like, they need to be them. You be you. Unless you believe the Bible. And, and we need to understand that we live in a world that is in rebellion against God, not a new thing. But believing the good news will be received in a bad way from some and from many. And we live in a culture that rejects all authority and the authority of the home, the authority of the scriptures, the authority of the church. And the individual self is the only authority. Remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ says that God is an authority over us and that the truth dictates our lives. Remember, it's the only gospel. There is no other stream to drink from. Remember that faith in the ancient word unites us to the living word too. How does it strengthen us? It's because we are actually by faith united with Christ, right? Verses three and four, the morally excellent Christ who empowers and strengthens us so that we might more and more look like God. We take on his divine nature in the way that we look, not becoming God, but becoming more like him. Jesus himself is the one who strengthens us as we are trying to hold fast. He holds us. See, Jesus proves that God remembers, that he remembers his covenants, his promises. And he holds us fast. Not only that, remember that you need a local church of embodied believers to help you stand as a pillar and buttress of truth. I don't want you to read this, uh, hear this sermon like so many today and they say, oh, I need to read my Bible and so if it's just me and the Bible, then I'm good. I'm good with Jesus, Jesus loves me, I love him, like I don't need anything else and yet, you start to read the Bible and you find out, oh, wait a minute, the Bible says if I have spiritual gifts, they've actually been given to me by Jesus for the purpose of the church and the building up of the church, First Corinthians 12 to 14. I find out that like, Jesus actually, when he came and died for me, broke down the wall of hostility, that barrier of hostility that separated me from others to create one new unified man or church for the glory of his name. Like true spirituality, if we want truth, we need a church. You need the gifts that Jesus has given you, like gifted teachers and preachers who are shepherding your soul so that you will make it to the end. So if you believe the Bible, then you believe in the church. And if you're a non-Christian, let me just encourage you today to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You can be like that big, glorious oak. You know, as we read the scriptures, we find that on the last day, Jesus says he's coming back and there are going to be two kinds of trees. they are going to be the fruitful trees and the unfruitful trees. Unfruitful trees are those who have forgotten God and they get cut down and thrown into the fire. But those glorious, fruitful trees, those are the ones who have entrance into the kingdom know this, we may be forgetful, but God never forgets our sins. He is just, and every sin will be judged on the last day, but God also never forgets his people and the plans and promises he has made to and has for them. Jesus came because God did not forget his covenant promises, and when you turn from living to this broken world as a sinner far from God to trusting Jesus who died for your sins on the cross and was raised to declare that if you put your faith in him, you will be saved. You can remember and know the Christ who came to save sinners and give them eternal life. That's the promise that comes in the gospel. So if you haven't put your faith in that gospel, don't leave without doing that today. Tell one of the pastors, we would love nothing more than to pray with you and talk to you more about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close. Father, this morning we come before you praising you. God, who is remembered to us. Father, we praise you for the great promises that you have made to us, and that you do not forget them. That you remember us even when we forget you, and you help us not to forget you, and you strengthen us in the gospel. Lord, if there are Christians here today who are struggling to remember you day in and day out, Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would remind them of the greatness of Jesus Christ. And for those who are here who have never known you, Lord, I pray that they would know you today, that you would give them new life, and Lord, they would be strengthened by the power of your gospel. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen.